welcome to the Cookery by the Book podcast with me, Susie Chase. Hi, I'm Cameron Stoke, and my new cookbook is Vegetarian Vietnam. It was so great to meet you at the International Association of Culinary Professionals, IACP conference, last weekend here in New York City. Do you have any fun highlights from the conference other than meeting me? Meeting you was great. That was great <laughs> that we were able to connect in person. So I know. that's always wonderful. Um, yeah, you know, um, it's always great to, to see friends and then also to see other cooks um, or writers or journalists that you kind of see their names on Twitter in real life. But, um, you know, there's some really interesting panels. Um, I was really taken, though, with this guy um, named Mike Lee, who I think he has a, a website called The Future Market. So he's looking at trying to solve um, different issues, food issues, um, with thinking about the future and thinking kind of really out of the box and seeing which which ideas that he has um, will take, will stick, and will people will go with. So he's looking at different stuff like you know, edible wrappers um, instead of getting rid of plastic. Um, you know, he was talking about a cracker where um, they were planting um, like different types of grains with different types of legumes so that it would be like a grain and a bean together as a cracker. And then it would change um, with the seasons or with the, the growing cycle. So these two things would be growing together at the same time but what they're really doing is they're putting nutrition back into the soil and nutrients back into the soil so they're really looking at regenerating the soil is the main goal and then the byproducts selling you know using using these ingredients to make crackers so i found that those type of ideas that normally i don't think about to be really fascinating okay first off Talk about that day in late 2012 when you took to the streets of Saigon to explore the food stalls. Sure. Well, um, at that time, I, I think a few months earlier, I just moved uh, to Hanoi with my wife and family. And um, I wanted to kind of, you know, look into the, the, the food of the country. And so I uh, did a short trip to, to Saigon. And I'm not a morning person, but only when it comes to food. You know, food and like markets will get me up early. So it was an early morning. I woke up early, threw on my clothes, and um, I was hungry. So I was wandering the streets and I was trying to kind of get to the nearest uh, market. And generally, outside the markets, you'll have some really tasty uh, food stalls. And I came upon one where there was a, you know, it seemed like a good sign. There was a bunch of eaters. They're all hunched over their bowls. Everybody's kind of quiet. So I thought, okay, this must be a good one. So I went in. I just motioned for a bowl, started eating it, kind of thoughtlessly, actually. And I thought, this is a really good bowl of pho. And then I realized that it was vegetarian. And it was the first kind of really great vegetarian pho that I had had. And, um, you know, it had mushrooms and uh, daikon, carrot, and had um, these kind of really nice chewy fried um, sticks of tofu skin that had been fried and then simmered in the broth. And then the broth... Um, had all the flavors that a, a traditional uh, beef would have. So the anise, the cinnamon, and then, of course, it had the herbs, the culantro, Thai basil, cilantro. Um, so I was just taken with it. And so I, I wanted to look more into the vegetarian side of, of Vietnamese food. You've lived in so many places around the world. 
What about Vietnam compelled you to do this project? Um, you know, there were several things. Um, one of the first things is, is you know, being a chef, uh, especially coming from North America. Um, you know, when I, I, I was learning to be a chef, Alice Waters was really um, taking off. And so learning about where your food was coming from, um, you know, sourcing it and the traceability of it. And so when I moved to Hanoi, that was really hard. Um, where you could go and see the the meat and seafood in the market, but it was really hard to find out where is it coming from and how are those animals and uh, being treated and how's the seafood being caught. Um, so that was something that we had in mind um, as a family. So we started to eat a little bit less meat just for those reasons. And then my young son at the time, um, I think he was about four years old, announced one day that he was going to only eat vegetarian. Um so we, our, our family meals had to change a little bit that way. Um, and then I, I was just coming from a job where part of my job was to um, take care of dietary restrictions. And a big part of that was the vegetarian meal. So it was already in my, in my mind thinking about vegetarian food. And then as I looked around, I noticed that there'd be, in Hanoi, there'd be pockets, little kind of days where I'd go past a temple and there'd be uh, just vegetarian food at the temple or at the pagoda. And I, I didn't really understand why. And then talking to a friend who had been there for a while, who's vegetarian, he mentioned that going to the center in the South, uh, there was more vegetarian food that was more prominent. So I thought it was something that I was interested in um, to, to do more research. Um, so it was just a, a collision of things that kind of came at the right time where I thought, I think there's something here that I wanted to look into. And, I recognized that there was a, a need for such a book because there wasn't a book out in English on Vietnamese vegetarian food. There's great books on Vietnamese food, but nothing that solely looks at the vegetarian side of things. How did you collect the recipes? Um, you know, uh, I guess I go about through a, different, a few different uh, methods where uh, sometimes it's a matter of going out into the um, you know, eat, eating the street food or eating in restaurants um, and then kind of checking to see what, what are the consistent ingredients in them. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to cook with monks and nuns um, in different monasteries. Um, and monks and nuns in Vietnam are all, eat all vegetarian. So that was a great thing to do was to spend, you know, two or three days in each different type of monastery to see what they would eat um, and how they would treat things. Um, and then I was also able to, to cook with home cooks. Um, a lot of people in Vietnam, um, they're very proud of their cuisine and of their culture. And um, I was able to learn enough of the language to communicate with them in, a, in an elementary way. But um, they would invite me into their homes if I, uh, you know, showed some curiosity. Um, and so I was very fortunate to also do that. So it was just a combination of things, of people sharing the recipe. Sometimes it's me seeing, okay, I can come up with this recipe myself. Or there were a couple of recipes that are meat-based that um, I hadn't seen uh, a vegetarian version, but it was evil, easy for me to, to come up with a vegetarian version. So there's different ways that I, I was able to do that. 
So in North America, vegetarians and vegans often embrace these alternative diets for environmental, health, or moral reasons. Is that the same in Vietnam? I think increasingly, yes. Um, I think that what's happening in uh, Asia particularly right now is people are are seeing um, the impacts of a certain type of Western lifestyle um, on the environment. Um, and people are increasingly more concerned about their health because, again, um, I'm seeing a lot more things pop up uh, in Vietnam and also in here in Thailand, where I live right now, about the traceability of food. People want to know where their food's coming from. Um, and there seems to be a greater demand on um, organic um, uh, ingredients. Um, but in, in Vietnam as well, there is a religious aspect where... Um, the lay Buddhist believer will eat uh, vegetarian maybe once or twice a month as a rite of abstinence or purification. So they're they're doing it to to hopefully bring good luck or to avoid bad luck for themselves or a family member. Um, so that would be the the other aspect of it um, in Vietnam. And also, what's interesting is I believe something like. 60% of the population of Vietnam is under the age of 30. So um, I think these environmental and health and moral reasons are going to kind of come to the more of the forefront than what traditionally it was for, for religious reasons. Give us the history of the vegetarian culinary replications approach in Asia. Um, yeah, my understanding is that uh, Chinese uh, monks in uh, China would want to invite um, non-Buddhists or um, just locals into their monastery and um, they would eat vegetarian but the, the locals would not. So what they would do is they would make dishes um, that looked and taste as much as they could um, similarly to the meat and seafood dishes. So that was a way to kind of um, welcome the people in and to make them feel more comfortable eating vegetarian food. And, and that type of idea uh, filtered down into Vietnam through the religion and then into the kitchens where people um, would make, you know, a re replica of the, of the dish. Um, so you'll see it on menus where the, the names will, will be the same name um, as the, the meat or seafood dish with the word chai, C-H-A-Y, on the end. So that indicates that it's this type of meat or seafood dish, but it's a vegetarian version. And another signifier, too, is the way that they garnish the dish. If they're using the same herbs or the same garnishes, um, that's another indication that, okay, this is vegetarian. It's supposed to be replicating this dish. That is so interesting. I'd never heard of that before your book. Yeah, no. I, and you know what? It was a good it's a, it was a, a good way for me to see the differences and similarities in what the cooks were trying to do. So to be able to see and taste the, the meat and seafood version and then see the, and taste the, the vegetarian version, it was good for me to know that. And, and actually, the first, first two times that I went into vegetarian restaurants, it kind of threw me because I was like, wait a minute, this is, this is meat dish, this is a seafood dish. And then, you know, as I learned more uh, Vietnamese and more about vegetarian food in Vietnam, it's like, oh, this is just signifying to people, you know, this is like this dish. So if you like that, maybe you might want to try that again. In regard to street food, why should we pay attention to the lunar calendar if we're traveling to Vietnam? 
as I was talking uh, just earlier about um, the lay Buddhist eating uh, vegetarian once or twice a month, so typically they will do it to the around the new moon and the full moon. So they might eat one day on the new moon day and one day on the full moon day, or they might eat it two days around each of those. So what's interesting is um, uh, some of the street food vendors will switch from their meat and seafood dish to a strictly vegetarian one. And I think also what I should point out too is when I say vegetarian, I'm also really meaning vegan as well because a lot of the vegetarian food falls into the vegan category. So I had one day when I was on a research trip and it was one of my first trips where I was in the city of Hue and I'd gone to this street food stall for some noodles and um, it was just fantastic. And so I thought, and they're vegetarian. I said, this is great. I'm, and so I thought, I'll go back the next day. And then the next day she was back to selling her her beef and pork noodles. And I was like, why is this? I, I couldn't, I didn't know yet why these things happen. So then I was able to learn about following the moon, the cycle of the moon. So if you're traveling, that's also important. And also what's important too is some restaurants will do like these elaborate buffets for vegetarians on that day because they know that they'll get a rush of people. So it's easier easier for them to prepare uh, you know, a quantity of food and put it out as a buffet because they'll have more diners than they regularly would during the other days. So those are things to, to look for um, if you're traveling to Vietnam. You know, follow that new moon and and full moon cycle, and you should be set. Way before this project, you were part of the kitchen team that cooked for the Governor General of Canada. Tell us about that. It's similar to cooking at the White House. So we would do uh, uh, cooking for events like a state dinner, um, or we'd cook for the cafeteria for the staff there, or for the, the family, the Governor General and their family. So I was lucky to cook for the last three in between living overseas. And one of my jobs there was when we'd have a big event was to take care of the dietary restrictions. So whether it was somebody who was vegetarian, vegan, gluten-free, or they had a certain allergy. And so what my job was, was to um, make replicas of the plates that we were serving to try and make it look and taste similar to what people were getting. Um, And actually my goal was to make it taste better so that the people at the table were like, oh, what's that? And I want that instead of the main thing. So I was able to take those skills from the kitchen. And then when I was doing the research for this book, kind of used similar skills and looking at like, okay, if I had this person, how would I treat this? And and how can I make this dish into something that's vegetarian if I needed to do that, if I hadn't seen a vegetarian version? Or if I did see a vegetarian version, I was, what are the steps to you know, are they replacing for the texture and for the flavors by not having the meat and seafood there? You also cooked for Queen Elizabeth, right? I, I did. I actually cooked for uh, Queen Elizabeth and her husband, uh, Prince Charles and Camilla, and um, Will and Kate. So I've cooked for three generations of the royal family when they, they visited there. That's so cool. Yeah, and what's really interesting about that is they're no different than any of our. Uh, our own families. So, you know, uh, they were bickering at the table. No, 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 I'm kidding. (laughs) They they were not there at the same time. But what I mean is, you know, uh, the older generation wanted something simple, but tasty, you know, nothing, nothing too crazy. Um, so it was just more like a, maybe a piece of nicely cooked fish 
or uh, meat with some nice vegetables, but simple. Um, you know, Prince Charles is very into organic food so, and where his food comes from. So yeah. we were, we focused on that. And then when Will and Kate came, um, they basically said, surprise us, we'll eat anything. It was really interesting to learn that Kate also uh, genuinely loves to cook. And so she was asking us questions and we actually had some culinary students there helping us make the food that day. She was asking them about cooking and, you know, she showed that she is really, really into um, just learning about food and wants to, to learn herself. So it was fun. It was just like the three generations of our own families. I'm dying to know about Cam Van, Vietnam's Julia Child. She basically, um, I believe in the, the late 80s or early 90s, um, she was a teacher before, a literature, literature teacher, and um, somehow she, she got a cooking job in an institute, like a culinary institute, and then someone asked her to be on TV, and she just had a manner about herself, a, a quiet, assured manner, but she was also a really good teacher, and so she, um, you know, she had this very popular cooking show on TV in Vietnam, um, she had a newspaper column, she ended up writing over 40 booklets of different recipes, uh, of Vietnamese recipes from all around the country. So she, in, in a sense, taught a lot of Vietnamese um, people how to cook it, you know, in their homes if they're watching that. Because, because of having all the wars, there wasn't as much of a written history uh, of their food. So it was, uh, Miss Van was a way to, to teach people about these different uh, dishes that maybe they had heard about from their relatives in different parts of the country. Um, and cooking with her was just a, a special day. So she taught me some some vegetarian recipes, some of her family favorites, like a, a young stewed jackfruit with Vietnamese coriander, just stewed in soy sauce and sweet soy sauce, or a tofu skin sausage um, that you can use in banh mi or in soups. But she's just a lovely person and she's had a, a big influence in Vietnam in teaching people about their own food. And when I told people that I had the chance with her, you know, they knew who she was. Um, she, so she's a big deal. And it was an honor to, to cook and learn from her. I read that during an introduction of Vietnamese cuisine at the Culinary Institute of America in 2000, she showed a bottle of fish sauce, a bottle of vinegar, a glass of lemon juice, several kumquats, onion, garlic, and ginger. And she made 16 types of sauces for 16 dishes out of those ingredients. Mm. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, um, one, that she has the ability to do that, but it also shows the variation in sauces that occur throughout the country. So yeah, no, she's a special woman, so I wouldn't be surprised that she was able to do that. I love how you put the pantry staples chapter at the beginning of the book. So many cookbooks bury it in the back. One integral staple is vegetable stock. Describe your favorite go-to vegetable stock. In the book, I offer two different vegetable stocks, a, a light vegetable stock and, and a, a rich vegetable stock is what I call it. And I offer two uh, because uh, they work with different recipes. One might require a lighter stock and one might more more richer stock. So I kind of look at them as a chicken stock and I like a, a veal stock or beef stock. So with the rich vegetable stock, you know, I use onions and carrots, some celery, garlic, uh, a small amount of plum tomato, um, and I'll cook that in some, a little bit of, of oil. Um, 
And then I'll, I'll kind of stew that for a little bit, maybe for five, 10 minutes, probably 10 minutes. And then, um, add some dried shiitake mushrooms, um, some fresh mushrooms or some eggplant and a little bit of salt, and then add some water, bring it to a boil. And then I'll uh, simmer it for about 45 minutes to an hour. Um, and I find that, um, especially that addition of the dried shiitakes and the eggplant or fresh mushrooms just gives it an extra body, uh, to it, uh, gives it a bit more richness in flavor. And what I like is that it's, it's versatile over different types of cuisines. You know, I've tried to keep it, um, fairly, um, plain flavored so that you can use it for other types of cuisines and not just recipes in the book. So the other night I made your recipe for lemongrass chili chicken strips stir fry on page 71. And I used some grilled vegetarian chicken strips from Trader Joe's and the lemongrass made it such a lovely, fragrant, hearty dinner. What I really like about that recipe now traditionally in in vietnam um they would serve it with with cubes of um deep fried or shallow fried tofu you know there's some new uh, faux meats out there you know for example the ones from beyond meat i'm i'm a, a fan of their their beyond chicken and um i kind of think that if the viet some vietnamese cooks vegetarian cooks if they had access to this ingredient i think they'd use it so i wanted to kind of play around with that as an ingredient for people who use it, but you can substitute it with, with tofu. But um, what's great is that lemongrass, the chili, the little bit of garlic just kind of brings everything. It just pops uh, in flavor. And then just a little squirt of lime juice at the end and a little bit of cilantro. Just in one bite, you just kind of get this nice explosive flavor of the lemongrass and the chili and the garlic. Yeah, and also the great thing too is for leftovers, you can you know use them in a salad, you can use them in a banh mi sandwich, or if you're using it for a different type of sandwich, you know, or you could even if you wanted to do some rice paper rolls and you had a little bit extra and throw it in with some, you know, some slices or julienne vegetables, um, put it in there with some herbs and lettuce. A recipe in the cookbook that caught my eye was the green banana tomato tofu soup. Describe that. One of the first uh, weekends that I was in living in Hanoi, um, I took a food tour with, with a, a food guide who soon became a close friend too. And, um, he took me to, uh, down this alley and we had this dish, but we had the, the non-vegetarian version first, which was the green banana, to to tomato and tofu. And then there's a little bit of, um, snails in it as well. And then about a year later, I, I um, started going to this uh, one vegetarian restaurant near my house, just this really small shop. And um, I was looking at it and I said, wow, that looked like the similar dish. And I was speaking to them and they said, yeah, this is, this is the vegetarian version. And so what it is, is um, I learned it from my friend Ling and her mother, Kuyen. And what it is, is um, it's green unripe bananas, um, not plantains. So, you know, uh, it's a good differentiation to know that. So your unripe bananas, and you could peel them as much as you can, and then you um, you kind of either put them in finger-length pieces or slice them, and you first blanch them in turmeric-infused water, and that helps remove the stickiness uh, and a little bit of the bitterness. And then you take them out, and then you just stew them in this nice stew of 
um, tomatoes, um, some tofu, um, you've got some shallots, a little bit of turmeric. And then if you want, uh, oh, and then you garnish it with some uh, finely sliced uh, beetle leaves or shiso leaves. And then you can either have it just as a soup like that, which is what they typically would do in the northern countryside um, in someone's home or something like that. Or um, you can have it just over a bowl of vermicelli noodles. What's the flavor profile? Is it more banana-y or more tomato-y? Well, it's not going to have any of that banana flavor that you think of as a, as a, um, as a ripe banana. Um, so there, I would say the, the, the turmeric is probably a little bit more pronounced. Um, and then you will get the, uh, the tomato. Green banana is a bit more of the starch, you know, so thinking of it as like a potato in a stew. Um, okay. type of thing so it adds that more that texture um, and also you have to look at that you know these green unripe bananas um, you know in the countryside they're growing all over on banana trees right around the house so you know most likely I'm assuming this dish came out of a time of poverty where they didn't have much to use but they had these unripe bananas on the tree and they thought what 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 can we make with this um, so that, that's how it came out. And, and instead of using, um, sometimes what I like to do is add some, you know, sauteed cubed pieces of uh, uh, portobello mushrooms to kind of mimic the um, earthiness of the snails. Sometimes I'll throw that in as a little extra flavor and texture. What's up next for you? I'm living in Bangkok, Thailand right now. Um, and so I'll be here for another year and a half or two years. So I'm looking, uh, I'm thinking of looking at the, the vegetarian food here in Thailand um, or, you know, seeing about the um, what's out there. There is a festival in uh, late September, October every year. So that's something that I'll, I'll look into. Um, a few other projects, but one thing that I'm... Um, uh, be doing that I'm excited about is in this November I'm doing a tour a culinary tour of of Vietnam I think around the 4th of November to the 14th um, with Bestway Tours in Vancouver and we're taking a small group 8 to 12 people and we're going to go from Hanoi into the center to Hue and Hoi An and then go into Saigon and then into the Mekong and we'll be cooking with home cooks, some of the people from the book, some of my friends that I've met do some street food tours. So I'm really excited to, to, to be doing that. Where can we find you on the web and social media? Yeah, so on Twitter, you can find me at Cam Cooks, C-A-M-C-O-O-K-S. And on Instagram and Facebook, you can find me at A Global Kitchen. Naomi Duguid wrote, Cameron's easy style makes you feel that you have a friend at your side to guide you as you shop and cook. It's been so much fun chatting with you. Thanks so much for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Oh, Susie, it's been a joy, and I, I hope that I can be on it some other time in the near future. Follow me on Instagram at Cookery by the Book, Twitter as I am Susie Chase, and download your kitchen mixtapes, music to cook by, on Spotify at Cookery by the Book, and as always, subscribe in Apple Podcasts.